are going to give some thought related to churches planting other churches. And as I think about that theme, it, it doesn't take long to to remember that that our church is uh, is a recipient of of uh, the blessing of church planting. In fact, there was a church in downtown St. Louis that decided that they wanted to be a part of planting a new work in West St. Louis County, uh, where at that time no organized Baptist church existed. Does anybody remember the name of that church that planted this one? Hanley Hills, that's right. And it was in 1956 that they got a vision for the little, small, but growing town of Ellisville. And uh, it was in 1957, on November the 3rd, that the First Baptist Chapel held its first service, not on this property, but does anybody know where the First Baptist Chapel held its first service? Ellisville Elementary School. That's right. Isn't that interesting? And here we are. So many years later and seeing the fruits of their labor and their investment. Of course, this church has grown over the years and has even had opportunity to be a part of assisting other churches. Uh, in fact, there was one that was planted uh, by the efforts of of, uh, of our of our church known as Rockwood Baptist Church out on 109, now uh, known as Life Point Church. But there have been many other churches that that this congregation has supported over the years. Uh, a couple that come to mind. One was Passage Church, uh, which was uh, on the north side of St. Louis, which recently merged with First Baptist Church of Ferguson. Uh, you may also remember that in June we had church planter Rick Tucker here uh, sharing about Red Tree Church in Wentzville. And uh, just in a, a couple of weeks, on August 13th, we're going to be helping with a couple of uh, efforts that he has in getting this church uh, and its first worship uh, services uh, to, to begin next month. Uh, many of you have been to Lower Manhattan Community Church in New York City. Or maybe you've been to, uh, to England or Romania, other places which God has given us opportunity. When I think about church planning, I think about the book of Acts and how these these congregations had a heart for one another and how they assisted each other and would at times send gifts or send people to help strengthen and establish a new work in other parts of their region. It reminds me of a, of a long chain. If you think about just a chain connected link by link. And in our case, we were connected to a link called Hanley Road Baptist Church. And then we were a link in the chain, but we didn't want to be the last link, did we? You didn't because you helped with other parts of the chain as well. And so that's a picture for us, I think, of what church planting uh, is about. And so today we turn our attention to Evanston, Illinois. It's a suburb of Chicago. It's the city of Northwestern University and has students from all over the world coming uh, to the uh, to the institution there. Uh, Scott Kelly and his wife, uh, Megan, have been part of leading to establish Evanston Baptist Church in the downtown area. They've also been appointed as campus ministers by the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And so uh, recently these positions have been volunteer and Scott has been working as a realtor to support his family as uh, they also continue their ministry. Of course, Scott and Megan are no strangers to Ellisville. Uh, Megan is the daughter of Jean and Paula Sherrill. Scott is the son of John and Mary Kelly. Uh, I know that Scott came here when he was in college, but I, I asked Megan, I said, uh, when was it that you came to First Baptist? She said, well, we weren't in this building. 
I was four years old and we were in, in the other one. And so the middle building here. So she's, uh, of course, been here uh, from, from uh, her early, early days. They were married here, I assume, in this sanctuary, right? Uh, in 1992. And uh, they have three children now. Anna, 18, who's going off to college uh, this fall in Colorado. Uh, Sophie, who's 15. And Drew, who is seven. And uh, Scott is a graduate of Wash U, as well as the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. But before those days, he told me he attended Ellisville Elementary, right? And Selvage Junior High and Lafayette. And so no stranger to our area, of course. But his connection to Ellisville goes deeper than that. It was during college that he attended here for the first time. He heard the gospel preached. And a few months later, uh, he placed his faith in Jesus Christ and was uh, baptized here as well. He served in the collegiate ministry from 1995 to 2001 in the St. Louis area and also served here as a deacon in our church. Uh, But you may remember him as a Roman soldier in the Easter Cantata, of which I'm told that there was an incident with a whip that he says was still an accident. (laughs) It's definitely an accident. Okay. So today we welcome Scott and Megan and their children and in a very real way, We say to them, welcome home. So Scott comes now to preach. Would you join me in welcoming him? God bless you. Thank you. Hello, Ellisville Church. Your brothers and sisters in Evanston greet you with love. I love that the highest thing on St. Louis's skyline is the Gateway Arch. Driving past it yesterday, we can see the arch grounds changing. Have you seen it? There are some great plans that are being made or that are now underway. So, yeah, I grew up here in Ellisville, but the city where I now live is Evanston, Illinois, just north of the city of Chicago. So every now and then we get to see the skyline of Chicago, too. In Chicago, my favorite tall building is the Hancock Tower. Have you seen it? I think it was really well planned. And perhaps that great planning is best seen from its 94th floor. The place that's now called 360 Chicago, a spot a thousand feet up above the street where you can look out over that great city and the Great Lake and all the great parks that spread along the shore of the lake. Why do our cities have the buildings and parks and museums that they do? Because people made plans and then those plans were carried out. If my slides are working and oh, Lord, I hope they are. This next slide shows a planner. This man was a planner. Daniel Burnham, famous former citizen of Evanston, Illinois, a man who co-authored the plan of Chicago in 1909. This great American architect and urban planner famously said, make no little plans. They have no magic to stir men's blood. Make big plans. Aim high in work, in hope and work. And many of his great plans can be seen in the great buildings that still stand in so many of our cities. But if you take a close look at Burnham's plan of Chicago and you compare the plan of Chicago to the way that the Windy City looks today, which I think this next slide will show you, Burnham's plan on top, right there in the center is a view of the skyline from the north with my favorite building, the Hancock Tower in it. If you compare those two, you see they don't look much alike. Isn't that how life goes sometimes? 
We make plans and we work, but the outcomes don't always look like what we planned. Sometimes things turn out better than we planned. Sometimes they end up quite worse. The difference between Burnham's great plan of Chicago and how the city actually turned out illustrates something that is true of all of our lives in this awesome but very broken world that we live. Something that is very simply stated by the biblical proverb that is my sermon text this morning. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Or as the English Standard Version says it, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The sermon is built around three words. Three words from the proverb that relate to three themes, each of which are in the biblical background and context of Proverbs 19.21. As we focus on these three words and these three biblical themes, I pray that God's Spirit will work in us so that we choose the way of wisdom again and walk in the way that the proverb guides us. And I pray that we would renew our partnership in the gospel from Ellisville to the nations. The first word, I borrowed Megan's Bible and there went her Bible reading plan. Sorry about that. The first word is the Lord. And you're probably saying, "Uh oh, we have a problem with our public education. There are two words up there. And the speaker says one word. What went wrong at Ellisville Elementary? But uh, no, just for the sake of this point, please ignore the word the in front of Lord. Because in the original language of the Bible, the is not there. There's just one Hebrew word there. One word made up of four Hebrew letters for the most important word in Proverbs 1921, the word for God's holy name, Yahweh. Observant Jews traditionally do not pronounce this word out of reverence, out of fear for taking the Lord's name in vain. Instead of saying Yahweh when reading this word in their Torah, they say Adonai. And that replacement word, Adonai, is what is then translated into our English as the Lord. And most of our Bible translations help us remember and follow this custom by printing four English letters in all caps in the place of those four Hebrew letters signifying God's holy name. And if we don't pay close attention to all this, we might be missing the Bible's point every time we see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in our Bibles. The point that the Lord is this gracious God who makes and keeps covenants with people like us. That's what his name is all about. So we're from the first word, the Lord, now to the first biblical theme, covenant making. The first time the Bible uses God's covenant name, Yahweh, the Lord, is in Genesis 2 and 3. And there we can first observe his covenant making ways very shortly after God's very good work. On that sixth day of creation, after making the first man and woman, after putting them in to work in that garden, and after commanding them to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they both rebelled, they both disobeyed God, decided to become little gods in themselves, and ate. But the Lord is a covenant maker. 
And even as early as Genesis 3.15, we see that the Lord makes a special promise that one of the woman's offspring will conquer the great deceiver Satan. Things then seem to go from bad to worse, from Genesis 3 to Genesis 6. As all people on earth only did what was evil all the time, and yet the Lord saved one man and his family, and now the rainbow is the sign of that. The Lord saved Noah through the judgment of that great flood. The Lord made that covenant with Noah, and that's what the rainbow is, God's covenant sign to us. The Lord's covenant sign. The Lord then went on and graciously made another covenant with one of Noah's descendants, Abram, promising to bless all the nations of the earth through him, even though none deserve it. God went on to reveal his covenant name to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And later, the Lord makes a covenant with the whole nation of Israel while Moses is up there on the mountain. But even as he does so, even as he's making the covenant and the the ten words of the covenant and the ten commandments are coming to God's people graciously through Moses, even as he's doing that, the people of Israel are proving that they're not worthy by doing such stupid things. You ever feel like them? I do. The Lord goes on and makes a covenant with David that his kingdom would never end. The prophets of the Old Testament speak about a new covenant that God would be making. And then the New Testament comes and fulfills all of that in Christ himself. The Lord throughout the scriptures uses covenant language. The Lord says all the way through the Bible, but especially at the end, I will be your God. And you will be my people. And it is his covenant making love that is the basis for our having any relationship with him at all. I just want to tell you again my my story. The day I walked in here and heard the good news that God saves sinners and he does it all by his grace alone that I don't have to work to be a good boy anymore? That he freely gives forgiveness to people who will come to him in repentant faith? That is good news. And I heard it right here. And it changed my life forever. It's still changing lives. Forever. I don't know if you were here the day that I professed my faith publicly in baptism right there. But that's where I did it. Made my public profession of faith and you know what my baptism is now that I reflect on who God is at this covenant making God? It's my baptism and your baptism. It's the, it's the covenant sign. It's, the, it's that symbol of being included in God's covenant love. What a beautiful thing. This is the Lord who we serve, a covenant making God. What's your story? Do you know the Lord? Oh, you need to know the Lord. He is a good and gracious, forgiving, holy God. Have you heard that He freely offers forgiveness to anyone who would come to Him in repentant faith? The Lord has made a way for sinners like us to return to God through trust in Jesus Christ. So if you have not yet repented of sin and believed upon Jesus, oh, please do that right now. 
Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. First word, the Lord. First theme, covenant making. Now on to the second word, purpose. This word relates to that which is near the source of our hope in the Lord. His sovereignty. There is no stopping the Lord. When he is purposed to do something, it happens. Listen to Isaiah 44, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. God's not like a politician saying, believe me, it's going to happen. God has proven his sovereignty repeatedly through his mighty acts all throughout human history. But most significantly, when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he had just proven that that definitely was the case. He won the victory over Satan on the cross. He lived a perfect life as a human man, living by the power of God's spirit. Then he died on a cross as our substitute. And then Jesus beat death. Having fully satisfied God's holy wrath against our sin, Jesus fully bore sin's curse. He has completely atoned for all the sins of all God's people. And he arose visibly, bodily, victoriously over death, never to die again. That's our Lord Jesus. Our Jesus is risen. Over 500 eyewitnesses saw him after he ascended, after he rose, before he ascended. He reigns. Jesus Christ is the Lord. Therefore, there is no stopping him. What the risen Lord Jesus purposes will prevail. So now we're to the second theme. Sent on God's mission. The Lord's purpose is a mission to redeem his fallen creatures and all his creation. The God of the Bible has always been on a mission to redeem people. And it's happening like your pastor told you. It's been happening in Ellisville since around 1956 through this church. Praise God. And it's been going to the nations through this church ever since. Praise God. He always has been on a mission ever since sin first corrupted us, first broke his creation. God has been on a mission to win back people who were made to worship him, but don't. He's on a mission to win back the people who were made to worship him, but won't. He's on his mission and his purposes will prevail. The Lord God. Our Father in heaven sent His Son on purpose 
to redeem people. Remember John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sent his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Remember what Jesus says to us in John 20.21? Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I often get asked, why did you move your family from Boulder County, Colorado to Chicago? Because we're sent on God's mission. Because we believe that Evanston is a very strategic place to live on God's mission. There are 16,000 students at Northwestern University. People who are more reachable than any other season in their life. Most will move away. Many will do great things. Stephen Colbert went through Northwestern University. Mike Greenberg. If you watch ESPN, you probably know that already. Um, Rahm Emanuel. Mayor of Chicago now. Ira Glass. You ever listen to This American Life? Others not so famous. One famous guy didn't move away. Jerry Springer lives up at the top of the Sherman Plaza Tower. If you come, you'll get to see him maybe on a Sunday morning walking his dog. Almost half of those 16,000 students are from countries like China India, Indonesia, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia. I can't point to a large church in Evanston today to prove to you how strategic it is. And my heart is broken that the church I pastor is not stronger or healthier than it is. But there is evidence of grace at Evanston Baptist Church, and you should hear it and be encouraged. We have stories of people being sent. We have sending celebrations. First Baptist Church Ellisville and Evanston Baptist Church are very different churches. But God's calling for both of our churches has always been to be more concerned about our sending capacity than our seating capacity. God's purpose has always been for us to be more focused on making disciples who make disciples than on anything else. God's purpose for both of our churches is for us to be sending churches rather than maintain a religious status quo or perpetuate quaint traditions. One of the things that I love most about Evanston Baptist Church is that we now celebrate every time God sends one of our 25 members out from us on his mission. The next one will be Saturday, August 13th. And one to be sent is my oldest daughter, Anna, who will be leaving to go be a student at Colorado State University. There's another couple that will be sent that same night. A couple who both came to Christ during their college days, have been faithful servants in our church, and are now being sent to serve God in the Boston area. I could tell you about 
the retired, quote unquote, former IMB missionaries who moved to Evanston. And they're in their late 80s when they moved four years ago. And these retired IMB missionaries within the last two years started a new Spanish speaking church that meets about 10 minutes away from where we are. And last Saturday night, I got to sit on the ordination council for that church's new pastor. I can tell you about Shiraz, who we sent. A guy who was a student at a nearby, I don't even want to call it a seminary, but that's what they put on the sign. He, he was a student at that school. The school denies Jesus' deity. And now he makes regular trips to the slums of Pakistan. This Muslim background believer, Shiraz, makes regular trips back home to the slums of Pakistan to teach persecuted Christian kids how to read the Bible. I can tell you about Tian Zheng, a guy we met at a Thanksgiving dinner party we hosted at our house, and then this other guy who a church like this sent up to be a part of our church as a student, this guy Cameron, just became great friends with Tianjin. Cameron from Little Rock. Tianjin from, I don't know how to pronounce it, in China. And they're buddies. And it's through Cameron's witness that Tianjin became a worshiper of God. And he's now worshiping God at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. I can tell you about Henry and Kathy, who, praise God, we're not sending. We just sent them short-term to Japan for the summer. They are some leaders in our church who became Christians while they were at the university, and now they're key leaders for us. I can tell you about students sent on short-term missions to 15 different countries out of the seats in our gathering within the last 12 months. I can tell you about Dika, a Muslim background believer. He became a Christian during college, and now he's studying towards his Ph.D., at Northwestern, there's no happier Christian in, I don't know, the world than Dika. Rahardika Arista Utama. Oh God, take care of him today. He's back in Indonesia right now. He'll be returning to Evanston in a few weeks. And God will be taking Dika back to Indonesia with a team of other PhDs from Northwestern and starting a new university. The government wants to start a new university and he's going to be the head of the sociology department. This Christian guy. These are just those who were reached with the gospel. There are thousands more we haven't reached yet. I used to live right here too. You sang some songs today that broke my heart. So much in my heart longs to just be here again. Why do we live where we live right now? Because the Lord has his purposes. And he sent us there. Why do you live where you live right now? Because the Lord has his purposes and he sent you here. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. First word, the Lord. First theme, covenant making. Second word, purpose. Second theme, sent on God's mission. Third word, plans. Plans. I love this word. I'm going to say it to you in Hebrew. I love it so much. Mahachavot. This is the same Hebrew word as what's used in Jeremiah 29:11. Anybody like Jeremiah 29:11? Got on a coffee coffee mug or something? 
You know that verse? For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Plans. That's what we're talking about here. Plans. Third theme, the Lord's purposes prevail. I want to celebrate with you some of the wins from the past that have happened through our gospel partnership, Ellisville Church. There were, day, there were nights quite some time ago when uh, Megan and I joined you here on Sunday nights for Sunday night services, and there was prayer times during those Sunday night services. And we prayed for the college students of St. Louis and a great collegiate ministry now known as Crew in St. Louis was birthed out of those prayers. I sat in the college and career Sunday school class in January of 1990, opening my Bible with people, learning as a young believer. You sent me to Southern Seminary in Louisville so I could learn the biblical languages. And just recently, God sent me to a man named John who teaches Latin at Northwestern. And we're reading the Gospel of John together now. Me and John are reading John in Latin. He's teaching me Latin now and Greek. And John says he's an atheist. I don't believe him. Pray for John. He's my friend. From this day onward, let's go into the joy of planning together. I wonder what those of you who were part of our church planting partnership in Boulder, Colorado are thinking right now. As I stand here and so audaciously ask you, challenge you to make plans together again. Well, I hope you think about what your pastor said church planting is all about. It's, it's what happens in the book of Acts. It's what happens through New Testament churches today. In the book of Acts, Christians were sent by the Holy Spirit to places. And then they got beat up and suffered. But now there were churches. after the, God made churches out of that. And remember Christ Church, the church that you helped start in Boulder County, Colorado? We were sent and... Yeah, we were we got it wasn't nearly as grand as the book of Acts, but we and we never got physically beat up like the book of Acts, but we did get spiritually and relationally beat up. And now there's a church there. The church is still going strong. Plus many people heard the gospel. Remember those street fairs? Remember the parties? Remember the Creek Fest? Giving away Bibles at the Boulder Creek Festival? I can still see the kids' faces. Those kids who came to those VBSs and nature clubs and then went to work in progress productions and their whole families ended up hearing the gospel because of that. And that church is still there, worshiping today just like we are, making disciples just like we're called to. Let's make some new plans. Let's do it again. Let's partner together with God again. How? Well, I don't really have anything new. Um, Disciple making. That's the plan. Make disciples of all nations for the glory of God. That's the mission. That's our plan. Nothing new. Oh, Scott, but haven't you heard that popular definition of insanity? 
Insanity is to do the same thing, expecting different results, right? What's going to be different this time? Oh, several things will be different, I'm sure. But we already know what's not going to be different. If God is pleased to have our churches partner together again, the same great gospel will spread to people who desperately need to hear it. And new believers will be baptized in Lake Michigan in indoor pools because it gets really cold in the winter. And then they'll grow as believers and they'll struggle through the sufferings of their lives and they'll be strengthened in their grasp of the gospel. All the while, they'll be learning to make disciples who make disciples. And in the end, Jesus' church will be there. God's people savoring the Bible's vision of God and Jesus as they worship. I got one more thought about that popular definition of insanity. If you keep on telling people insanity is to do the same thing, expecting different results, and then saying that over and over to them hasn't changed what they do, what does that say about you? That was a joke. Perhaps what actually is real faith just looks like insanity sometimes. Or perhaps I'm crazy. The uh, next slide shows some verses that I recall reading as I stood there in the water and was baptized. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Plans. Uh, the next slide talks about partnership possibilities. I hope you would consider making these plans with us. Praying. Plans to pray. Plans to send short-term helpers. Plans about finances. Plans that would include possibly you being sent to Evanston, Illinois to be a part of our core team. And I'm looking at you, Cruz family. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that would be awesome. It's kind of like this this next slide for me to stand here and ask people to come and move to Evanston, Illinois and help us. Um, it's kind of like the day that Booker T. Washington asked George Washington Carver to leave his position at Iowa State University and come help start Tuskegee Institute. This is the letter that Booker, Wash Booker T. Washington wrote to George Washington Carver. I can't offer you money, position or fame. The first two you have, the last from the position you now occupy, you will no doubt achieve. These things, I now ask you to give up. I offer you in their place work, hard work, the task of bringing people from degradation, poverty, and waste to full manhood. Your department exists only on paper, and your laboratory will have to be in your head. And you know what happened after George Washington Carver got that letter at his Iowa State University office? He packed up his office, and he moved to Tuskegee Institute, and they did something great together that changed the world. But we have a greater mission to save people from spiritual degradation, from the poverty of spiritual darkness, 
and the waste of an eternity in hell. So I beg you to consider partnering with us in each of these four ways. Prayer, sending short-term helpers, finances, or becoming a core team member for our church work there. I want to direct your attention to the Connect cards. Please pull them out. Pull out a pen. This is the time to ask the Holy Spirit how He's leading you to respond to today's opportunity to partner together in gospel ministry. Are you willing to pray? Well, then please write your name and your email address and your phone number down there and say, I'd like to pray for Scott and Megan and Evanston Baptist Church. Are you willing to consider being a short-term helper? We'll do the same thing. And come talk to me after the service out here. And are you willing to give up some of your finances for this, to give away some of your finances, to make some great things happen for God? Well, if you want to know know more about how you might give above your regular tithes and offerings to this church, write that on the card. Put it in the offering plate when it comes. Are you willing to leave, to move, to be sent with us? I don't know what God's doing, but God does. If you want to be a core team member, ask me for an application. And let's pray together about that today. Many are the plans in the mind of a man. But it's the Lord's purpose that will prevail. Pray with me, please. Our Father in heaven, I thank you for this church. I thank you that you've used it spread the gospel around the world. Lord, do it again. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.